Now we're going to discuss demonic oppression. Now first off, this is a basically a rendering of, of the word obsessio, and there can be translation issues. So sometimes you'll see this rendered as obsession or oppression. The important thing is, is that what this really means is that a personal relationship with the demonic spirit is starting to develop. And as that relationship deepens, we go from demonic infestation, where it's just nearby, to oppression or obsession, where it's actually interacting with the person. And then that deepens and deepens, and then a choice is made, hopefully not, and that can lead to possession. So that's kind of where we're at in the continuum. Now, oppression can be some of the worst experiences and types of cases that we deal with. Certainly possession is terrible, but oppression is very difficult to deal with. What's going on with oppression? The demon has secured or formed a relationship with that person that has given it permission and, and the consent of that person to interact with them more deeply. This plays out in various ways. For some people, it's more of a mental process where they go to pray and horrible blasphemous images flash in their mind in a very strong way. Uh, they may try to go to church and they feel sick to their stomach or dizzy. Uh, and feel they have to flee, that they're going to have a panic attack. It may involve kind of obsessive thoughts about negative things, about suicide is almost always part of the picture because the devil's end game for us, he always wants us to suicide, so the demons are constantly whispering, kill yourself, kill yourself, because that's their best chance to get us damned. Now remember, the church has revise the teaching about suicide leading to automatic damnation because we now understand more about psychology. So now we understand we're not really in our right mind when a person commits suicide. So the culpability is reduced for that sin. Now, <clears throat> the more common type of oppression is physical, where the attacks are on the body. This, as we've mentioned before, can be a continuation of the scratching and biting and shoving that we might see in demonic infestation, but it's intensified. And the interaction becomes stronger and more pervasive for that person. Now, obsession or oppression can take two different basic forms. It can be more of a mental process, where the thoughts are being disturbed, horrific blasphemous images are appearing in the mind when the person tries to pray internally, they forget the words or other words are substituted in their mind. The person might experience blasphemous voices in their mind speaking to them. They might experience hearing things in the house, uh, footsteps, uh, the voice of people that live in the house but they're not home at the time, various things. And one that's very common is sleep disturbance. Almost always with oppression and obsession, however you want to call it, sleep deprivation is a big part of the devil's plan. And why is this? Because when we're sleep deprived, our mind is weakened, we're worn down, we're irritable, we're not thinking well, we're not making good choices, uh, our temper is short. And so kind of demonic nightmares, uh, disturbances in the night, banging, scratching, bed being shook, it's uh, very common to be awoken at 3 a.m. probably because it's the inverse of 3 p.m. when by tradition Christ died on the cross. There'll be kind of a whole host of different things and it varies case to case. 
So this person has allowed this relationship to deepen, and now the demon is invading their mind, affecting their thoughts, affecting their feelings, causing fear, affecting their body with pains and wounds uh, and promptings. And also something else can happen. While they're asleep, sometimes there'll be a very mild kind of, kind of like a possession where because the mind is shut down in sleep, the person may exhibit very limited activity that the demon is causing in their sleep. Now we have to be really careful with this because people do talk in their sleep and when people are upset they can have nightmares and act strangely in the night. So you don't want to assume that just because somebody's talking or mumbling in their sleep that it's a demonic problem. And there's things called night terrors that you want to have ruled out also and they can be treated medically and that involves waking up terrified, possibly having hypnagogic hallucinations where you're seeing things in your dream for a few seconds but it seems like a long time and so you want to make sure you rule all that out before concluding that it's demonic but that being said if the person is genuinely oppressed they're going to be sleep deprived they're going to be attacked they're going to be impeded from getting to the holy things in their life and then also what's going to be going on is the demon's going to try to separate this person from the people that they love and that love them. So it's going to be trying to drive a wedge in relationships. It's going to try to break up the family and isolate that person. Its goal is to get that person alone in a room somewhere just with the demons so that they can work on them in a more focused way. It's kind of like a torture program. So as this is going on and it deepens, it can take many forms, it can go on for years. It often starts a little less serious and escalates over time. Now, it can, and this is a delicate topic that we won't get into too much here, but this can take a sexual form. Uh, the demons can be providing or forcing on us kind of a twisted form of the intimacy that God created for man and woman uh, that should be within, within the marital union. And so unfortunately, as with everything else, the devil isn't creative but he looks at what God does and he tries to corrupt it or make an inverse of it or destroy that and so the demons do sometimes use that type of union to try to lure somebody into consenting to union with them and then once that happens that forms a very strong bond and that can lead to some of the worst types of oppression cases and so for anybody watching that might be tempted or, or something might be pretending to be nice and making these types of overtures to you, it is of the utmost importance that you always say no and resist that and use your free will against it because that can lead to some of the worst types of cases. So if a person is having these types of difficulties, what can they do? Well, generally a person that's having these difficulties, it's going on because they've dabbled in the occult, they dabbled, dabbled in black magic, they've done something that opened a door and led to consent. And so they're having this corrective negative experience that's hopefully going, to, hopefully going to lead to insight for them. They're going to wake up and realize this thing isn't their friend, that what they're doing isn't getting them what they want. In fact, it's bringing them things they don't want. So the first part is for the free will to change and for them to say, wow, I don't want this anymore. And then hopefully I want God in my life and I want to understand God's rules that have been broken here in some way. Now, there are some people that are oppressed because of what their parents did. Because, as we've gone over before, 
The opposite of baptism can happen. When somebody is born, if the parents are in a satanic group or some dark occult group, they may consign that baby to evil spirits as opposed to the baptism that a Christian may do, a Catholic may do, a Catholic Christian may do. So sometimes people haven't done anything in their life explicitly to bring this about. They're confused. And in those cases, you really do need to be working with a priest or somebody working with the church that has experience in this area. Now, what is the treatment for this? Well, really the treatment for oppression cases is the sacramental life and deep prayer. A lot of people are frustrated by that because they're experiencing extraordinary manifestations, extraordinary suffering. There's strange things going on in the home. Uh, their body may be acting strange and slightly out of control, and they will insist on an exorcism, and they will be demanding from their diocese or their, or their, their parish that an exorcism be performed. But these cases simply do not rise to the level the church requires for an exorcism, the signs of possession. The sacramental life brings tremendous grace into a person's life, into their body, into their soul, their mind, and that is a very powerful thing. And almost always with oppression cases, we see people that have drifted away from the sacramental life, either as they were gravitating towards what they did that opened the door to the oppression, or as they've been oppressed, it's been harder and harder to engage in the sacramental life, and also sometimes They've been oppressed and suffering for a long time in an acute way, and they've gotten frustrated with God and maybe angry with God. And some people even curse and reject God because they feel abandoned by God. And I'm talking about here cases usually that have gone on for years or 10 years or more. So there's, there's kind of a limit in our human weakness to where we get frustrated sometimes. And so for various reasons, we can drift away from the sacramental life. Now, that being said, in severe oppression cases, because they, they are on a spectrum from less severe to more fully developed, getting closer to possession. Sometimes the priest may be given permission to do the minor exorcism with a person who is severely oppressed. Often in those cases, it's somebody that's so impaired at that point that their life is uh, very limited and they may not be able to physically make it to church to engage in the sacramental life. Uh, the, the Eucharist may be brought to them at home on a special occasion or as part of the casework, but this person is having such great difficulty and is so impaired that we may provide that additional assistance to them. But that's the exception. So the primary thing again is the prayer life, the sacramental life. Uh, getting rid of anything that may be part of the infestation that may have set the stage for the oppression is also important as we've discussed getting rid of any objects connected to the occult blessing the home making sure that any rights that have been given to the home are removed because if the demons still have rights to the space around the person getting them off of that person directly they're still around and they're going to try to make inroads into that person's life again this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now, one of the other things that's kind of a side note that's important about oppression is that as the demons form relationships with people, in the early stages of this, it's sometimes not negative or destructive. In fact, sometimes it can be seemingly positive for a little while. And what's going on there is the demon is a con artist. They know that if they approach the person as a monstrous creature that reeks of sulfur and and feels like death entering the room and says, join with me, everybody would run away. So they may come into the person's life in a different guise. They may be pretending to be a spirit guide. They may be pretending to be a a dead relative of that person that wants help and wants to use their body to communicate with automatic writing or something else. Now, when a person is oppressed, it's not uncommon that towards the beginning of that process, it's not negative for them or destructive. In fact, the demon may be doing favors for them or giving them experiences that feel positive and are interesting and unusual. Things like supposedly quote-unquote psychic information about the future events that may happen. Now, it's important to remember that the devil doesn't know the future. Only God does. But what the demons are very good at is predicting something that they themselves will do at that exact time in the future. So they'll predict that so-and-so is going to call tomorrow. That's a person they have great influence over. And then the next day they prompt that person to call the person and they think, oh, I had a a psychic uh, vision of things that turned out to be true. This can take many forms that are more elaborate than that. But these are essentially parlor tricks uh, to get the person to enjoy the companionship of the spirit and think that they're getting something out of this relationship. And it often uh, can be seemingly positive or not destructive for a while. And as a person accepts the favors that the spirit is offering, the relationship deepens because the consent is greater. Later in the process of oppression, that beginning phase is often pretty short. As soon as a person gives enough consent to that spirit that it knows the person can't back out and say no on their own anymore because they've given over so many rights, that's when the spirit turns on the person and it ceases to pretend to be serving the person. And now it starts telling the person what to do and what not to do and punishing them when they disobey. And this is usually where the person starts to wake up and says, there's something wrong here. This isn't acting like my friend anymore. It's acting like a bully. And then that process gets worse and worse and you get to the more typical presentation that you may see in the movies or hear about with the dramatic scratching and biting and and torture and isolation and sleep deprivation. So, now let's talk about a couple of case examples. Now... One case that I wanted to discuss with you is a case that has already been made public. Uh, It appeared as part of a a documentary program that we worked on. Now, this was a young lady who was involved in paranormal investigating many years ago at this point. Uh, I had initially met her uh, at Penn State when she was visiting for a conference there. And this is a person who was really involved in divining rods, which are essentially a little rod of metal very thin that has an L shape to it and the person holds it so the L is in it's straight out and then a bit in their hand and they hold it so that it can easily swing left and right in both hands and what they do is 
the, the belief, it's not a true belief, but this is what people generally believe, uh, some form of movement indicates communication. And so sometimes the rods will cross and they'll say, oh, that means uh, what we're talking about is in that direction. Sometimes they'll both point in a direction, sometimes they'll diverge. There's various forms. It doesn't matter the specifics of it. The point is, is that the person believes that the movement of these rods is a spirit uh, movement causing that and that it's indicative of valid information for that person. Now, she was involved in ghost hunting and, and paranormal investigating, and she was big on using these. And a, and a lot of people involved in the occult had encouraged her that she had a gift for this. And in fact, it seemed like they were very responsive and it seemed to go well for her in terms of getting attention uh, for this. So over years and years, she used this quote unquote psychic information or, or, or trick that she was enamored with and increasingly enamored with on various uh, ghost hunting trips um, and, and things in life, whatever she was doing with it. But what happened was that slowly over time, more and more insidious things started to encroach on her life and in her home. And in particular, when she would use these rods or after she had used these rods. The oppression went from the parlor trick of providing this supposed psychic information to activity in her home that was centered on her, attacks in her dreams with horrific demonic nightmares that wouldn't stop. They seemed to happen very frequently. She was touched in her home. She was attacked. She was pushed. There was scary noises in the home. While this was all going on, she was using the divining rods to try to get information about what was happening around her, still believing that these were good and it was somehow of God or of some good spirit or maybe an innate power within her. This got to a point where she realized uh, she was isolated, uh, life was falling apart, job I believe was falling apart, um, a lot of problems in her life and she had clung to this kind of occult practice for a little while, but now it had gotten so bad after a number of years that she felt very oppressed, very negative, invaded, um, that she was reaching out for help. And I, I happened to be a person that, that she knew, that knew about these things. So I went out to the state that she lived in and we prayed, she renounced these practices, understanding now what it was that had been providing the information all this time because it had done some very vile things uh, to her and the way it was interacting with her and was still bargaining with her, saying that it could make you know the oppression or the, the relationship with it pleasurable at times, but it was also being a bully and trying to control her life. And with that sense of loss of control to some spirit, there was a lot of fear that it was heading in a bad direction. So by renouncing those things and bringing uh, blessings and prayer into the house, she was able eventually to completely break this and was freed and developed a much deeper and I think looked like very sincere and joyful relationship with Jesus Christ. And she has spoken out uh, in various ways to help tell other people about the danger of some of these practices. Now I'd like to talk about a very sad and disturbing case. 
uh, I'm changing the names uh, involved in this case in the city because it's still an ongoing um, issue. I was asked to work with a person in terms of praying just deprecatory deliverance prayers, prayers requesting God to help them, visit with them, kind of counsel them and comfort them uh, by an exorcist in one of the major cities in the Northeast. I spent a year working with this person, meeting with them one to three times a week for an hour or two or sometimes more at each visit. This person at that time had been severely oppressed for at that time about 17 years. Uh, by now I think it's been well over 20 years. Uh, I have not heard that they have been liberated yet. This person was um, in their thir early 30s, a professional nurse, um, mentally stable and smart, not mentally ill, uh, professionally able to function, but what they had done after an interaction with some, a fortune teller that was probably involved in the occult and perhaps some other factors, something had made an overture to them in the, in the way we discussed a, a, a few minutes ago where it had been amorous towards him. And he had consented to this once. And the moment that he consented to it and allowed that act to go to completion, he was immediately violently oppressed. It went from being something that was pretending to be affectionate uh, to something that was violating him and uh, forcefully forcing itself on him. And that continued on a daily basis for about 17 years at that time. This person became completely isolated, was able, only able to live in an apartment on their own, didn't really socialize with other people, uh, was able to work a limited amount of hours every week to keep themselves financially going, uh, but they weren't doing well because their work was very limited because of the few hours that they could get through uh, the day without the impairment stopping them from functioning. This was a very sad case, and in that case I saw a number of manifestations uh, that were very unusual. Um, just a few of them uh, to share that may be interesting to people. Uh, this person, like a lot of people that are oppressed, feel great weights on their body as if maybe you had a, a bag of concrete on your shoulder weighing you down that hundred pounds, but it's there all day. And they feel their bones and their joints creaking and, and weighed down. When they lay in bed, they feel these weights come on them and their body will literally sink into the bed further than it would from their own body weight. This weight they perceive seems to be in some senses real. There was a, a moment in praying for him that some of these weights were on his legs in addition to other parts of his body that he would experience. And I had asked the holy angels to help him and pull one of, pull these weights off of him, uh, these heavy spirits that he was experiencing. And he was sitting in, a, in an office chair on a wooden floor and his legs suddenly shot up like something had grabbed, maybe was going to grab your boot to pull your boot off your leg. His leg shot up in the air, but there was nothing holding him. And then he was dragged across the floor in front of me by, I assume, an angel pulling something off of his leg, but dragging his whole body uh, with it during that process. There's a number of other things like that, that at that time I was newer to this ministry and it was very interesting. 
Now this person was liberated for 10 to 15 minutes at a time, about five times over that year. But the liberation only lasted 10 or 15 minutes, during which time he would blissfully just sit and relax and close his eyes and allow himself to relax because out of all those 17 years, those little windows of 10 or 15 minutes were the only peace that he experienced. This form of oppression is unfortunately fairly common. It's a fairly common type of case that we encounter, though it's a very difficult one to talk about publicly because it sounds very disturbing, it sounds scandalous to talk about it. But I think there's a value in mentioning it because this overture is made by so many demons to both males and females. And it's really important to say no to this because it forms a bond that seems to be very difficult to break. These overtures are often made in contexts where people are very lonely. Maybe they've lost a spouse. I've also seen that in cases where somebody has a spouse that dies, the person is older. The demon will come and pretend to be the spirit of their dead spouse and will try to have relations with them and they'll think it's the spirit of their spouse and so they'll consent to that and that also leads to these oppressions. So I'm, I'm sharing this not meaning to offend anybody's sensibility but out of a sense of duty that I've seen so many cases like this that it's important to, to understand a little bit about it. So these are some of the cases of oppression. I know that some of this is ugly to hear about but demons are ugly creatures and the things that they do are very vile. This is part of the work in, in trying to help people with these situations as you, you sometimes have to hear about these things. So those are some of the aspects of oppression. These cases can take many other forms. This is just a broad strokes introduction to the topic. Next we're going to be discussing full-blown possession cases. Thank you.